0: Welcome to this bonus episode of Illegal Tender Season 2. I'm Katie Krasick. In this episode, you'll hear our uncut interview with Rachel Deloche-Williams. From listening to the series, you already know that Rachel was one of Anna's closest friends until Rachel was left with the bill of over $60,000 on a trip to Marrakesh that was anything but a vacation. In this interview... You'll hear that story with all of its detail, as well as everything else we could think to ask Rachel about her time with Anna. So I guess just if you want to start, um, kind of establish when you and Anna met, kind of what your first impressions were. Sure. Some detail, if you can, about like her appearance and what you, what like what kind of... Vibe did you get from her? What was her energy? Things like that.
1: Okay, I first met Anna out one night, middle of the week, February two thousand sixteen. Kind of that that part of the year when you're coming out of your winter cocoon and you're in the mood to go out and maybe see some people. So I was out with um, some girls I knew who mostly worked in the fashion industry, and Anna already knew the girls in that group that I knew, but I hadn't met her before. She arrived kind of late in the night. We were downstairs, sitting at a lounge. Um, just having some drinks and I remember her being slightly hard to place. She had an accent that I didn't know where she came from. Um, I remember her being sort of slow to warm up at first and then kind of chatty. She seemed fun-loving. I didn't get to know her that well, of course, that first night, but over the spring and summer that followed, she became a more regular part of our group, and I just saw her mostly going out for evenings for dinner or drinks. Um, And I thought, you know, I heard from her and then also from other people that she had a trust fund, and the reason she was in New York is because she was working hard to create something called the Anna Delvey Foundation, which was her idea for this art space that was going to have restaurants and bars and a members only club. and just this rotating like plethora of different things, um, which you know, sounded impressive. I you know, I questioned whether or not she could pull it off, but she certainly sounded smart. She had done her research, and as far as I knew, she was taking a lot of meetings um, towards the 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 progress with that.
0: Yeah, so like you say, she seems smart. She kind of carried herself confidently it sounds like. Definitely
1: um, confidently, yeah. yeah.
0: So did you have any kind of idea of um, did you get any hints of like her background or like if she had gone to school or where she had gone to school? Did she kind of lead on to any of that kind of information when you in, in conversation?
1: Sure. And in that first um, period of time in 2016, I didn't get to know her too well one-on-one. Um, I, I had heard her talk about interning at Purple Magazine, which is a, a fashion magazine based in Paris. So she would sort of drop casual names from time to time about, you know, people who had worked there, like Olivier Zahm or uh, just, you know, different shows, she'd, fashion shows she'd gone to or like artists she was interested in but no not a whole lot of background information aside from that but it wasn't really unusual necessarily I I feel like you know she wasn't one of my best friends where I know exactly where she came from how many siblings she had and everything about her past it was more like a social friend that you know the friendship wasn't that deep Um, and towards the end of that year she kind of disappeared she left the country she wasn't a citizen had to reset her visa and I was busy living my normal life you know I worked at Vanity Fair I had a job that asked a lot of me and I traveled a lot to visit friends and for work and I didn't think anything else of it until she came back.
0: <laughs> yeah, so when she did come back, um, like you had mentioned like it's not unusual to not really know too much about someone especially in the New York media scene. It's right. like very easy to kind of just accept where they where they've gotten themselves. Um, so can you just kind of give an example or a few examples of when she did come back and you guys kind of spent more time together yeah. of the lavishness and like kind of things that she would be putting money out towards that you sure. that would have thrown you off? kind of to see it in the context of your friendship or relationship?
1: Yeah, so Anna came back in February of 2017 um, and immediately checked into 11 Howard, which is a hotel in Soho between my apartment and my my workplace at the time, so I I walked past her hotel all the time. Um, But she got back and immediately asked me to lunch, and I I was kind of puzzled by why she'd picked me out to be fast friends with, but I was also really grateful and excited to see her again. It was a time when I had come out of a long-term relationship. A lot of my friends lived in Brooklyn or had left the city, and here's... This girl I liked um, instantly wanting to hang out all the time. So I I would often stop by to see her. Um, she she didn't actually leave her hotel very often. I think there's a bit of a mischaracterization of her. You know, looking at it in hindsight, knowing what we know now, thinking she's at all the best parties and knows all these people. For the two months that followed after February up until early May, I was pretty sure I was her only friend. She's, you know, she she hung out a lot with the staff at the hotel where she worked, but aside from that, it was mostly like lawyers and bankers and business meetings. Um, but we did do fun things together. We went and worked out with a personal trainer she'd set up, like a quote unquote celebrity personal celebrity personal trainer. Um, those sessions were fun. We'd go to uh, this this trainer's gym and chelsea in the mornings and anna had a way of making sort of like routine activities a little bit more fun because she pushed it at boundaries you know she would always play loud music or come up with these sort of spontaneous fun ideas like uh you know breakfast at le cuckoo which is something i would never have really thought to do of course i still had my full time job i was balancing with anna's kind of shenanigans but um so the hotel in in the hotel where she lived is le cuckoo for anyone who doesn't know that's a fancy french restaurant that is really hard to get a table in it's buzzy and all the rest of that um so yeah we would mostly eat in her hotel uh or go to the personal trainer and that's really all I did with Anna for for two months um
0: Nice. Yeah. So you say like she didn't really leave her hotel. And looking back, yeah. that kind of might have been an yeah. indicator. Do you think that there were any other kind of indicators that you might have missed early on? or like, Yeah.
1: You know, even that, like, sure, it's an indicator, but it's also it made sense in the fabric of her character. It wasn't I, I had no trouble ras- rationalizing it because she was someone who. Ostensibly was working really hard, taking meetings often in the in the restaurants in her hotel, Um, you know, and I I did admire the fact that she was so focused on the foundation and that she wasn't out, you know, running around town, going to parties and things. It was mostly um, like she, she kept a small circle. I now realize in terms of other red flags, the isolation and the lack of long term relationships in her life would have been a red flag. The fact that she didn't have any old friends and even the girls I'd met her through when she came back in 2017 weren't seeing her anymore, but not because of money reasons. It was more Anna's insensitivity. She had delivered some upsetting news in a way that made it sound like it was fun and like a good piece of gossip. And, you know, I think they saw that and were like, you don't get it. And, and you're, you're like kind of crazy. And they told me that and I knew that, but I thought, you know, I just thought Anna was young and I, she kind of played off this big sister impulse I have just naturally. And I, like, wanted to mentor her. I wanted to help her. I wanted to be a good friend for her. I liked her. I believed in her, um, obviously. And, yeah, we know where that went.
0: Yeah, so for that, um, like you're saying, she was taking these meetings and doing a lot mm-hmm. of this work. Was she actually—did she actually have these meetings? Yes. Like, that yeah. was—like, it's not just her saying it. No, but- she
1: really did. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we know about some of them in the news. There are others I'm sure we don't know about. It's kind of a thing people don't want to step up and say, oh, I met with her too. Like, now that we know she was full of <laughs> lies. Um, no, she was. I, I, don't, I don't know to what extent. I don't know how far she got with things. Obviously, you know, she certainly wanted me to meet a lot of those people i think you know my my friendship was useful to her and that i worked at vanity fair and so she would say to business people like you should meet my friend rachel she works at vf and i think that gave her a degree of credibility by association um so i think i knew more than most people just because she kind of dragged me into some things just in terms of just social situations um within the hotel or in conversation but um I don't know. I don't know how much was real and how much wasn't.
0: So can you recall yeah. maybe um, a situation where you were in with her that you met some of these people that...
1: No, I, was, it never happened. So she just yeah.
0: kind of throw your name in the
1: yeah, hat. Yeah, okay. yeah, Uh I'm like trying really hard here. I came for a drink one time, and she was wrapping up a business meeting, and I met someone in passing, but I won't even share his name because out of privacy, respect for him, but it wasn't someone whose name you would know even if I said it. Of um, But no, I, again, I think this story is funny because people project things onto it or, you know, headlines sort of grow organically and take on a life of their own. I, like— it, Sure, somebody might have used Anna to social climb and meet all these people, but I, like, I worked at Vanity here. I didn't meet Anna, and, like, I yeah. certainly didn't actually meet anybody through her. She was more interested, I think, in in, in my world and my connections um, than I was in hers.
0: Yeah, so, like, you're saying that sometimes these headlines have kind of grown yeah. out of proportion. What do you yeah. think might have been, throughout the, the whole trial and everything, the biggest misconception, I guess, that mm. came from her story?
1: yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, I'd say the biggest misconception is the idea of Anna as a Robin Hood character, as some sort of anti-establishment hero who was taking on sort of banks and wealthy people for the betterment of, you know, the ones who with a chip on their shoulder trying to make it in New York. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that girl has like a, a benevolent bone in her body. I th- You know, I think she was she was cutting corners because she was so desperate to be a part of, th- of that world, of the art, fashion, business world. Um, but, it, you know, even and this is kind of hard because you don't want to question somebody's generosity, but even where she was generous, I think it was self-serving. I think she desperately wanted to be liked. She wanted to be the character she was playing, who was able to sort of throw money around. Um, Again, you know, for me, that was mostly just dinners in the hotel and like personal training sessions. I've heard from, you know, other news stories that she was throwing around cash. I never saw that. Maybe it happened. I'm sure it did. I don't, you know, everybody had their own experience with yeah. Anna. Um, but I, I think that came from a place of wanting to be the person she was pretending pretending to be.
0: Um, so on that note, like, what what do you think was the legitimacy of her intentions with the foundation? Mm-hmm. And what would have come from that had she had the means to do it? Yeah,
1: I think she was serious about that. I think she, you know, had she gotten however many million dollars, $25 million from Fortress or another hedge fund. Yeah, I think she would have kept moving towards it. I think she wanted to accomplished what she set out to do. I question whether or not, as you just asked, I question whether or not if she had pulled it off, if she would have been satisfied with that. I don't think she would have come clean. I think um someone like her is always gonna be manipulating people around her and and looking to go higher, bigger, more
0: um okay cool. So then moving back to the the social scene of it a little bit, um obviously you detail in the book about your trip to Marrakesh and everything that had happened. Mm-hmm. In that in that kind of weekend it was, I believe.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, it was a week. A yeah. week, yeah. Um yeah. so
0: if you could just like give a little bit of detail of um how that played out and what your I know that you described in the book, but just kind of go over again a little bit of the the trip itself.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay. Should I start with the the fact that I had to purchase the tickets? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what? I think being a photo producer and dealing with logistics and putting um, things like travel and studios and cars and God knows what else uh, for work on my credit cards and waiting to be reimbursed, I was oddly more vulnerable, I think, to this particular con um, because there were some red flags I think other people might have balked at that I could rationalize or, or see as as normal. Because you know, I booked. So, sorry to preface this. The day we were supposed to leave for our trip, the tickets weren't booked. And and I was sort of thrown into or jumped in to, to help with that. Um, but, you know, having booked travel for busy professional people who have moving schedules and whatever else, I was used to that and, and plans changing. So it didn't strike me as that bizarre, given that Anna... You know, she said she didn't know what time she's going to get out of meetings and she was like hung up in meetings and she didn't care about how much the flights cost. So I guess that's why you kind of book early. Right. And to ensure you get a seat and there was plenty of availability on the flight. I, I can I can explain why I thought this. Clearly, it was a mistake. But um, so the morning of the of the trip. The flights hadn't been booked. She asked for my help finalizing the booking. I asked her with what credit card. She sent me a credit card that, of course, didn't go through. And then I ended up having to put the the flights for four travelers on my card. Um, I mean, I, I offered. And, and she said, as long as it's okay for you, I'll wire you on Monday. So that's how it started, and then we get to Marrakesh, and everything seems fine at first. It's me, a videographer, and a, the personal trainer came as well. Um, we get to the hotel, we're there, everything seems to be fine. We take a tour; it's the most ridiculously opulent hotel I've ever been to. It, you know, there's the big main building with like four restaurants and three bars, and then you walk through the sprawling gardens, and we have a private villa that has a butler and a little pool. And it, I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot of a lot of a lot. Um, And everything seems okay until the first time we leave to go to the marketplace, and Anna wants to buy some caftans, some some dresses, and she goes to pay. She's picked out $1,300 worth of clothing, and her card doesn't go through. And I think it's because she hasn't told her bank she's traveling, which, again, here I am making excuses for her before she even has to. Um, And since she already owed me money, it was sort of like a snowball effect, where it was one more thing on top of that, and then the meals outside of the hotel when her cards continued to not work. Um, and, And that stuff added up. I, I now, having read books about how con, confidence games can work, It's I think that is a technique where you start small and you sort of build on to that. It's kind of in for a penny, in for a pound. But the way that the hotel situation unfolded was different. It was, um, I now think it was, you know, she created the sense of or the situation that, that involved a lot of urgency. And I think when you're in a stressful situation, you don't always think rationally. But I, I couldn't see another way out of the situation. So it was my last full day in Marrakesh. I woke up, the trainer was sick, needed to go home, was asking for my help booking a flight. Um, I had kind of fallen into the role of involuntary producer, you know, booking everyone's travel and figuring out what the plans were for every day and running around, just like putting out fires. Cause it's my nature and my job and God, I don't know. Um, so I wake up, I'm trying to help the, the trainer to get, a, sorry, this is the long version That's of the okay, story. I, yeah. I hope you guys edit it down. We'll take what um, we need. So this yeah. is good. And I'm doing it in one breath too. So. <laughs> yeah, take um, your
0: time. Don't feel like you have to rush. Okay. Um,
1: yeah. So I, it was the perfect storm. The the videographer had woken up and left to film Anna who had signed up for private tennis lessons every morning. And then, of course, half the time or less showed up. The rest of the time just didn't tell anybody and left this guy standing there waiting for her. So the videographer was out sort of waiting for her, realized she wasn't coming, and then was like waiting by the breakfast buffet where I was going to meet him before we started our day. So he's out of the villa. The trainer is sick. Needs to get to the airport. I'm calling the concierge for an urgent car because there's a flight at like twelve fifteen or something. But she needs to leave immediately to make it. So that I think is what that alarm that set off alarm bells because I think the hotel thought we were fleeing. And the the payment, like the the credit card Anna had given them before we arrived, didn't work, which I didn't know until you know I, it was a little too late. Um, so these two managers appear instead of the car for the trainer. I have to go wake up Anna to deal with the managers. I'm trying to get the trainer out into a car. She leaves. I go to my bedroom thinking, you know, Anna's out there dealing with the managers. It's going to be fine. Her bank should be open. This can be resolved. She just needs to, like, focus on this being a serious problem. I come out from the room to go meet the trainer or the the videographer for breakfast, and Anna's just sitting there, and the two men are just standing there, and Anna's phone is on the table. She's not doing anything. She's not using it. Um... It just was this unbearable standoff, and and the men turned to me and said, "Do you have a card? It's for the temporary hold that's required to you know we're required to have before you check in, and she'll have to settle the final bill before she checks out." And Anna's like, "Can we just use your card for now?" So I just buckled under the pressure. I didn't say, see a way out, and I thought it was temporary. I think I you know I made myself think it was going to be okay because I didn't know what else to do. Of course, and then of course I leave before Anna, and and spoiler alert, she you know everything goes on my cards.
0: Of course. Yeah. It's kind of like a fight or flight moment. You're like, yeah. I have to do something to get myself, like, out.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I just didn't know what else to do. The men weren't going anywhere. She wasn't, she'd, like, her detachment was really alarming that she was just sitting there and didn't seem to to understand the, the urgency and the seriousness of the situation. You know, these men weren't, they weren't friendly. They weren't smiling. They weren't, like, making jokes. They were there to collect what they needed. And they were very stern, uh... I I just, you know, I caved. Yeah.
0: What was the total amount?
1: By the time, I can't remember the exact dollar amount of the hotel, but by the, t- by the time I left Marrakesh, Anna owed me $62,000, okay. which was more than I made in a year.
0: What was the communication between you and the videographer while you were waiting for Anna?
1: Um, there wasn't any because I wasn't on my phone. I was just sort of in this pre- high-pressure situation that didn't actually last very long. Um, you know, I had, before I was, leaving my bedroom to go into the main it's like the first chapter I really like outline (laughs) how this happened play by play but um when I came out of the bedroom to go meet Anna in the living room like on my way to go meet the videographer I texted him to just say hey can you get me a coffee because we were in a hurry for the rest of our plans that day we were kind of running behind schedule given everything that had kind of unfolded that morning um so aside from that no and and I I think even when I came out after the experience after my card had gone down and i went to go see him by the you know the buffet by the pool whatever a 5 minute walk away from the villa i think the the emotions i was feeling were a little too weighty and complex and i was still kind of trying to digest them and to digest what had just happened and and also to focus on this is the last full day and, and just getting through the day. And since I've come all the way here and, and this is it, you know, I don't take vacation often. I certainly don't travel with friends often. I also wanted to, ha- to make the most of the time I had left. I think I just kept trying to tell myself it was going to be all right. And that Anna, you know, Anna knew how much I made. She knew that wasn't like something I could afford to do or, or to even front the cost for. Um, and I really trusted her to have my back as a friend. So I, I, the point is, I don't think I—I I don't even think I told him at the at the table. I think I just kept it to myself because I also was aware of Anna's privacy. And you know, I—I I knew the videographer from before; he was an old friend. But I just, he, for Anna, he was someone she had hired, and it didn't feel like appropriate. I guess to—I mean, <laughs> yeah.
0: He was. Um, she had hired him to film the trip. It wasn't mm-hmm. like he was a friend, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. And she, she had invited him without talking to me. When she invited herself to a dinner where I was catching up with him, and then she asked him at the table to come, and he said yes without asking me. And I and I couldn't. It bothered me, but I couldn't figure out, figure out why. Um, I just felt like my my opinion was kind of a moot point; no one cared. Um, but then I was like, well, I, you know, he's my friend. Of course, I want him to come. Like that's fine, and like it's nice of Anna to be so generous. I guess like I, like I couldn't articulate what about it bothered me, but
0: so. In filming the trip, yeah. like, what do you think her intention was to have the, I guess, the visual memories yeah. of that trip to to show or to? I mean,
1: Anna is an extreme narcissist. So that in itself, I think, is something, you know, she probably enjoyed the experience of walking around and seeming to be interesting enough or famous enough or whatever it was to film. Um She also just said that, you know, she wanted to make this documentary about the creation of her art foundation, maybe. Um, I think she was just kind of ticking boxes. It, like, seemed like something that she could or should do. And she she, just—I mean, it's the same as she was in court. She was kind of just peacocking around Marrakesh, you know, having fun and amusing herself.
0: Yeah, and like you said, like— she just kind of wanted to sh- – maybe wanted to show the, the start of her foundation. Was any part of that trip related to – I
1: know. Good question, right? And it's funny, like, in hindsight, I'm like, why did I – it's not that I ever thought it was that plausible, but I also liked her as a friend, and I didn't want to question how she chose to spend her money. Like, what thinking that you know she could afford to. She would sometimes say she was doing research into food and beverage and hospitality institutions. So, to some degree, maybe, but – I don't know. It's a, it's definitely a stretch. Okay, cool. and I—that's not something I didn't know at the time. You know, I just kind of found her amusing and and you know supported her as a friend. So,
0: so like you said, like she, this might have been the one very lavish trip she took in the time that you knew her mm-hmm. um, it seems like because like you said she kind of stayed very insular and stayed to herself
1: but she lived in a hotel full time yes Yeah.
0: Um, so with that did you ever meet the people that she like interacted with frequently at the hotel like I know Neff was a huge mm-hmm. um, part of the the cut piece did you ever yeah. interact with her and like what was your impression of her
1: yeah um, I only in the hotel context, context and a few times we'd gone out for drinks I, I thought Neff was really like social charming Smiley. Um, she seemed like a kind of a go-getter. Like she worked hard. Uh, yeah, I, I like I liked everybody that worked in the hotel. Yeah,
0: um, and like on that because like she has been the one person that has kind of and throughout the trial and through everything has kind of still come out and said like she is one of the close confidants of Anna. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what do you think, if any, is her intention or role in? The ongoing narrative.
1: Yeah, I definitely don't want to speak to anyone else's intentions. Um, Not that I don't understand the question. Um, I I wish Neff well. I think this is a really weird experience for anyone to have gone through, and everybody comes out of it with different, you know, different reflections, different takeaways, different ways to react. you know, I, I would caution anybody who who is close to Anna at, you know, she is a sociopath. I don't think she is capable of profoundly connecting to other people in her life or caring about them. Um, but that's, you know, that's that's other people's decision. Um, and I don't I, I really don't feel competitive about this space. I, you know, I did my I did my best I you know I wrote the book I've I've said my piece I've tried tried to explore it as unflinchingly and honestly and and fully as I can and I will continue to learn from that but I also look forward to moving on from here so anyone else who wants to do their own different paths I wish them well yeah
0: yeah so the reason I ask is because she is involved in the Netflix series and so like there's a there's a part of that um that with honestly with your story a little bit as well is like the people that were involved that are now using it as a way to maybe profit do you think that there's a negative aspect to that and like how kind of are you navigating that maybe the maybe some criticism of saying like well you're using this to get attention or oh
1: sure um well with regard to me personally and you know like Anna's lawyer his his defense toward me was trying to paint me as an opportunist in the friendship before Marrakesh mm-hmm. and after the the, this whole experience with my book and, and um, the HBO option, I mean, my defense of that is that's not who I am. It's not who my values are. That's not ever been my motive or the way that I operate in friendship generally. I know that. I have loved ones. You know, I have very healthy relationships in my life. Um, it doesn't mean it doesn't knock me back or, or upset me, because it certainly does, uh, and it's something I continue to, like, have to grapple with, um, just feeling mis- misunderstood or you know, having to defend myself without being defensive, like it's its all been certainly um, tough. <laughs> uh, but my answer to that is, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, coming through this, those things like the book or the TV stuff just happened, you know, like, I had to work so hard, this experience was really trying and challenging every step of the way. And Anna was a close friend for two months, you know, we spent most of that time in her hotel. I, you know, If if I were interested in dinners and things, I wouldn't have wanted to eat in the same place every night. She wasn't introducing me to some flashy new world that I wasn't already aware of. It, It wasn't all that fairy dust and magic. I liked her. I enjoyed spending time with her. I thought she was smart. I liked hearing about her art foundation. And it was a fast friendship. It wasn't like I had spent years... You know, she her lawyer said that she had financed my life, which is just a bold faced lie. Like, you know, I worked really hard. I still work really hard, but I, you know, in my job, and you know, it was very. I took my responsibilities very seriously, and I just am not a lavish person. That's not who I am. So that's before, and then after, you know, I'm super proud to have a book. I'm I'm proud of where I am today, but. It took, you know, for two years of friendship, it took two years of reckoning with it and working hard to first get through it and then to, like, figure out how, you know, the judicial system works and to go through a trial and to have my character on display and then critiqued by people who don't know the full story or me personally— oh, I wouldn't have signed up for this. <laughs> it took a lot. It definitely took a lot. Definitely. Yeah. If you
0: uh, wouldn't mind just giving a little bit of detail of like kind of what it was like to have to be involved in the trial. Sure. And it was like terrible. It was, I mean, it was
1: really, it was really hard. You know, I'm, I am behind the scenes by nature. I worked on photo shoots. I, you know, I've, I was a super shy kid. I, be, public speaking to begin with is hard, but then having to Sit on a, a witness stand and, and in front of the public, the press, the jury, Anna, her lawyer, and then to have to tell the most painful thing I've ever gone through and rely on other people to believe me and to understand who I am and where I'm coming from, while Anna's lawyer's approach is just Purely to, to paint me out to be someone I'm not and to pick apart everything and like, of course it was hard. Of course I cried. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I cried a lot. You can find pictures of me ugly crying on the internet. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was it was really hard. I went for two days. It was I had expected it to be a little shorter. I didn't have a lawyer. or You know, the DA's office prepped me some, but they couldn't coach me and I didn't feel that I had the financial ability or or any reason to have a lawyer involved. So I kind of just relied on on my own strength and like the truth to just get up there and do the best I could. Um, but it certainly was very hard.
0: Yeah. yeah. So her lawyer, Todd, correct? Todd Spodek? Todd Spoduck. Yes. yeah. Um, So kind of, can you just explain to me like a little bit of his demeanor in the courtroom and like how he acted? Like, did he have a swagger? Like, what was his? Yeah,
1: he definitely had a swagger. Uh, He, okay, part of the reason I think the trial was so hard, and then I can answer your question more Mm -hmm. fully, is that I was being accused of using my testimony as content for entertainment because of the book and the HBO option. Meanwhile, I knew that Anna's life rights had been optioned by Netflix, and I had heard rumors that her lawyer was well—I I was involved in the entertainment dealings and potentially involved on the project itself. So he's up there telling me that I, as a victim, am using my story for entertainment purposes when I know full full well that he and his his client are are doing the same thing, and and she's also the one that perpetrated the crimes. So. I think that sort of—it made everything feel very surreal to me. Meanwhile, to answer your question about his demeanor and his approach, I felt so much like he was showboating and, like, putting on a show for the press and the public and running out and you know at every recess to talk to everybody who was there about, you know, X, Y, Z. Like, here's all the fodder. And, you know, Anna, meanwhile, has a stylist dressing her for court. It felt like such an entertainment endeavor or some sort of, like— business move on their part which I you know I'm sure it was like they're doing the best they can with what they've got but um that was really hard for me to watch knowing that like I had come through this and like was just trying to to do the right thing I ugh. yeah so he had a he had a swagger is the short answer if you <laughs> if you want to edit it down that's the takeaway
0: well cool, yeah so yeah. If we can just talk a little bit like you'd mentioned she had a stylist for yeah. the for the trial like what was her what was her demeanor i guess what was she what was she giving off the energy that she had in the courtroom was she
1: depends on what she was wearing when she felt it, it seemed to me that when she was happy with whatever court look had been picked for her she really enjoyed the attention um you know she would look over her shoulder to see how many people were in the room what the turnout was like she she seemed very detached from the you know The risk that she might be going to jail. When I had to sit in the box and identify her as the defendant, I looked up and she was staring at me and smirking. She was, I mean, she's a narcissist. She's a sociopathic narcissist. And it was on full display. Um, She she certainly didn't seem remorseful.
0: So I do know that um, you had mentioned in the book also that you were involved in the arrest. Yep. Um, if you could just kind of go through that a little bit, and like maybe what you were feeling, the the um, kind of the details that you got from the police and the prosecutors sure. that it, that were involved in that.
1: Um, yeah. So as as the, that summer after Marrakesh unfolded, it was over the course of, of I think two, a little over two months that I had tried so hard to be reimbursed by Anna. It's not like she just disappeared. She kept stringing me along every day. It was by far the hardest period of my life. I've ever been through just it felt like like abuse I mean not to to diminish anybody I know that's a relative thing and and I certainly don't want to equate my experience with someone who's had a long-term toxic relationship or has suffered it but in my life relatively that that was it was cruel you know the way that she like kept changing the you know moving the goalpost and and you know just not. Caring, not seeming to understand how how hard that was. So anyway, the, the the months unfolded. I'm you know having panic attacks. My hair is falling out. I'm, I'm I don't even have the energy to really fully tell people. I I'm just kind of like shriveling up and trying to keep moving forward. And I I found my way first to lawyers and and got. Patronizing, unhelpful responses there and the same with the police when I first approached them and finally I made it to the DA's office where I realized that Anna was the subject of an investigation at which point, you know, that was worst case scenario for me to discover she was a con artist and didn't have any money that we knew of but it was also the first solid piece of information that explained the past hellish few months I had been going through so I actively worked with them in the investigation feeling like I had particular insight having, having spent, you know, the two months with her that I did and the way that she would confided in me with name and and what she was trying to do. So I worked with them, um, ended up testifying in a grand jury hearing. And then Anna was supposed to show up in court that September for some misdemeanor offenses. Um, She'd skipped out on, I think, the Parker Meridian and the W Hotel and Dine, she dined and dashed somewhere. I don't know. But um, she skipped the court date, at which point the police and the DA's office contacted me to see whether if I were to contact her, she'd respond. And she did. Um, and I, I had to work over the course of that month that followed September into early October to figure out where she was because she had just gone to the West Coast and didn't tell people um, like her lawyer or or um, the courts and there was a, a warrant out for her arrest and it was really it was hard but if I really wanted to protect other people and I just felt like if she would betrayed me in this way and I was really just her friend I didn't you know I didn't have any vested interest in her I was just there for her the fact that she just let it happen to me and it's such a painful and prolonged way I felt like she'd do it to anybody and I didn't I didn't know what she was capable of.
0: Of course, yeah. So then she had gone to a rehab center, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is a very swanky rehab from my understanding. Yeah. Um, so, like, what—I mean, this would be your own opinion, obviously, but, like, in terms of, like, that being her safe space mm-hmm. in this time, kind of what do you feel like that—does that give any insight into her mentality, I think?
1: yeah. Oh, man, it's it's hard to... I mean, yes, it does. She's smart, whether or not she did that on purpose, because um, law enforcement can't enter a healthcare facility just you know, like willy-nilly and check on whoever's there. They have protections in place to to protect the privacy of patients, especially in a place like that. Um, so it was a, kind of an ingenious hideout for her. And not only that, but it being the most expensive rehab in North America, she's surrounded by the wealthiest people in their most vulnerable state. One can imagine the type of friends she's making. And she's so inherently manipulative like here are all these people who are you know looking you know they're, they're just it was the <laughs> yeah it's a little too on the nose too smart um yeah I don't know if she actually had some sort of substance abuse problem she drank a lot I never saw her do drugs um but I I don't think it I don't think it likely that was her motive in being there but I I don't know of course yeah, yeah. um so then
0: one thing, the one quote from all of the coverage of her that really stands out to me is when she said that there's unlimited capital, but there's limited number of people who are talented. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like, did she give off that kind of vibe all the time mm-hmm. that she just felt like she was this exceptional person?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say yes, but I don't know that it was necessarily her being an exceptional person, but her appreciating and wanting to be a part of of this like world of talent and, and power. Um definitely you know she would say things like that that make that make you want to keep reading you want to hear what she has to say because it's it's kind of like a puzzling worldview that you can't quite disagree with but you also wouldn't have thought to say it that way um that's part of I think how our friendship worked because she would say stuff like that that you sort of find transfixing but can't quite explain
0: <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah so just like then kind of backtracking slightly something I kind of want to get more of an idea of like you're saying like she didn't leave her hotel that often yeah um what what was the hotel room like? Kind of like, what did it look like? Was it... Sure. It was
1: small. Um, it was not a suite. It was, there was space for a bed, a very small table. She had a rolling rack and then she filled it with stuff. There was just like black clothing everywhere, boxes, and a lot of net a beauty supplies, like powders and weird like tonics and elixirs and some workout equipment i mean this girl obviously had impulse issues and and a spending problem so i think she constantly was online shopping i don't know how i don't know where that money came from (laughs) um but it it was very cluttered it was just full of stuff but then again i'd never really been in a hotel room where somebody was living long term um so it kind of made sense to me it's not how i would have chosen to live but it was just part of her lifestyle
0: yeah, so like when you say that you think she just like online shopped a lot, like what kind of brands, what was she looking to to kind of represent mm-hmm. for herself?
1: I think Anna liked uh, edgy sort of, I call them edgier brands, with some sort of transactional or hype value. So it would be like Supreme or Vetements or like, I don't Acne to, a, you know, a more accessible brand, I think. Um, she, I think she was really interested kind of overlapped I'd say with her interest in art to some degree because it was sort of these rarefied um brands but she went towards sort of I want to call it like garbage couture it was like a lot of black and and mm, I don't know edgy graphic do you
0: think that that has anything to do with again kind of her intention or her intention of the lifestyle she wanted to be living mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I absolutely do. I think she probably idealized people like Steve Jobs or, um, you know, Uber Trevor Kalinick, whatever, (laughs) Martin Shkreli, which is a terrible role model. Um, Yeah, I think she was, she really admired people who were successful in whatever they were doing. Talent, as you said.
0: Yeah, the Martin Shkreli connection is disgusting. Crazy to me that that was part of her circle. Like her circle seemed to, From the reports and not necessarily only from your book, Um, like you said, like there is this kind of expectation or um, understanding in some of the news reporting of the extensive network that she kept. And you're Mm -hmm. kind of counteracting that by saying she didn't really do all that much outside of the hotel. So do you think like were those connections genuine that she did know those people or did i think
1: she had her meeting with martin in la cuckoo like in the hotel i also heard about like macaulay culkin or something coming to dinner i wasn't there for that i don't know maybe it happened it's not that weird it's new york you know there are people famous people regular people wealthy people poor people like everybody's just in here together doing whatever (laughs) i don't know i I think new york is such a unique place it's such such a melting pot um yeah i do think she knew those people i don't know that she knew any of them well i think she was very artful at name dropping and key moments or i think that's how she got a private plane from blade by meeting the head of the company at some party getting his business card and then using the fact that she had met him at a party to the to the company and saying oh well you know i'm not going to pay in advance but i know whatever his name is and then them checking with them and he's like yeah i mean i met her at a party like she was really good at like working those sort of networky connections But that doesn't mean any of them went very deep. Exactly. And so that that plane that she chartered was to allegedly to Berkshire. Oh, she sent me Snapchats. But I don't think she actually attended the conference, just to be clear. She was like party crashing. We know,
0: like internally, (laughs) like we cover it every year. And you have to be, you have to get in line. You have to wait. Like it's not the kind of thing you just show up to. But
1: she did. She went to the zoo. And I think they just had like a drunken sort of like ramble over the zoo grounds and then like happened across a party that maybe she walked into which doesn't surprise me for a second but the idea that you would charter a private plane and go to a conference that you have no reason to be at aside from like probably trying to meet more victims (laughs) I don't know. Sorry, I yeah, probably shouldn't no. say that. I don't know what
0: I'm allowed to say.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, if you
0: want to like rephrase,
1: <laughs> uh, just the idea that you would, yeah, it's it's very Anna to to have the audacity to charter a private plane to go to a conference you haven't been invited to and have no reason to be at, just so you can spend the weekend close to something like that and maybe meet people or network. It just uh, and then like to party crash or to just get drunk and not even care about going. She really started from the top down. Like the same, we used to go to this infrared sauna sauna, um, in the basement of the store in the East Village. It was like this sort of crunchy, like, you know, sage Palo Santo. And it's in the basement, this like this little wooden box. She was like, I'm going to buy my own and put it in the hotel. Like she just had these big ideas and she would try them. Like then then her hotel opened a sauna and and I think that's because she had the idea and asked them.
0: So, like you're saying, like um, kind of like bringing those two together. So it's the proximity to the mm-hmm. the talent, the success, mm-hmm. but then also, like you're saying, like there's this kind of jadedness to the New York culture that mm-hmm. it doesn't seem out of line for her to be pursuing these things.
1: I don't know if it's jadedness or, or I think ambition. People come here and they want to do things, and some are more successful than others. You know, I admired that someone with the kind of wealth wealth she pretended to have was so motivated because i think sometimes with like second generation third generation whatever wealth there's a tendency maybe to be a little lazy unless it just depends on how you're raised but i admired that someone with her privilege or whatever you want to call it was working hard um and and, and especially i mean she was younger than me she was like three years younger than me and and that she seemed really focused um yeah so i i guess it's there is a degree of Jadedness to some extent in the sense that I wasn't sure she was going to succeed, but I, you know, I wished her well and I thought, you know, I thought her ideas were legit.
0: So, like, in terms of her privilege, her wealth, did she ever speak about, openly about it or was it kind of just the thing that she implied or, like, kind mm-hmm. of how did that, those conversations go and how did she navigate talking about?
1: Yeah, uh, it, it's certainly not something I would have or did pry about. Obviously, you don't yeah. do that. Um, She did, though, reference it kind of casually in conversation sometimes just about having a trust fund. Uh, And I think it mostly came up one time when I asked her more about her family, but she was very vague. She said something about a grandfather who, like, maybe that's where the wealth wealth came from, but he died when her mom was young. And, like, her, the way she talked about her family was so different from the way that I am with my family. So i i couldn't tell if she, like it was like sensitive because she didn't it wasn't happy it was like she wasn't close to her parents they had more of a business relationship you know her mom kept her and her brother very separate it, it was depressing so I, I think i tread lightly there and then tried to move towards like well what makes you happy like what do you like um but i you know the money thing it came out in that way directly and then uh, it didn't really come up again until later when I was trying to find answers about who she was and where she came from that I had to sort of reach out to people and say, what is this person's deal? Where did she, like, did she just fall out of nowhere? <laughs> like, is, is any of it real? And um, then I heard that her dad was a Russian billionaire who brought oil from Russia to Germany. and
0: Just a bunch of different stories that never— No, the not, same story. Oh, okay. Just over and over again. She
1: was so consistent in her storytelling. I think that's how the con worked um, to the degree it did until she got caught. But I, I think what you didn't hear from her, you got confirmed from other people, and they had heard iterations of the same thing.
0: So very much just kind of like perpetuating her, yeah. her idealistic world. Yeah, um, but just to backtrack, what did make her happy? Did she answer
1: that? <laughs> um, it's good. She liked music a lot. She liked sh- chefs. She liked she liked art. It's. I have a hard time uh, taking that too seriously. I think she liked sort of knowing what was cool and thinking about things and their transactional value. I don't think she understood the substance of things. So it's not like she. I can't imagine her being moved by a piece of, of art. You know, I don't. I don't think she connects with the world in that way. But. um and she did like she liked being liked I think the happiest I saw her is you know when she was doing something like um buying everybody around like if we went out with 11 Howard people after their shift sometimes I say her but I usually ended up fronting the bill for that um but she she like had fun being the character she was playing I think that that brought her joy
0: like you've mentioned a, a number of times, that like there were instances where it seemed like she should have seemed a little bit more alarmed, a little bit more under yeah. pressure. Yeah, but she never really led on to those emotions. Do you think that she just was super detached, or that she was trying to hide the fact that she was, she thought she was going to get caught?
1: Both. I think when I in those in those instances, the lack of alarm. I guess the alarm that a, a regular person. Regular is such a bad description. Um, a, an, an empathetic person would have experienced would have been different than what the stress she would feel not wanting to get caught in a lie. You know, like, for instance, in Morocco, I think I'm afraid as a young female in a foreign country where I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go to jail in any country. But I, I, just, I just her concern was very different and, and, and didn't feel as sincere or deep or profound, I, I think she had a very different view of danger and of risks. And, you know, look at her today, even in jail, I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think she's capable of feeling remorse or fear in a normal way. Maybe I'm wrong about that. We should get a psychologist on here. But I just, I never saw her react in a way that seemed um, profound when it came to fear And they
0: didn't bring a psychologist in for the trial, right?
1: Not that I I know of. I was only there for my testimony. Okay, yeah. Um, Just, I guess,
0: other than the Marrakesh trip, which was obviously like a huge example of her just kind of disregard for the actual value of things and how that affects other people that are involved. What maybe were one or two examples that happened in New York Mm -hmm. that— You felt like you said, like you were always the one kind of on the hook for the bill if you were getting drinks after the Mm -hmm. 11 Howard shift. But like maybe some more like a little bit extensive, like real world examples of like, I'm not just picking up drinks here. This is like an actual.
1: Yeah, I I, honestly, there weren't very many because I would have stepped back from the friendship sooner. Um, It was small things Uh, there. You know, sure. In the book, I certainly try to pull out all the red flags I can, but most of them have to do with Anna being, a you know, a person I don't want to invest my time with um, rather than her being an imposter uh, or just, you know, living a life predicated on lies. Um, I, I think rudeness and sort of entitlement when it came to, s- to small things like getting on and off an elevator and not waiting for other people to get off first, like that's... Who does that? <laughs> or um, being demanding of, of wait staff or, or drivers or, I don't, like, not that we took—I mean, like, drivers of cabs or Ubers um, or waiters at restaurants. Um, she just didn't seem very concerned with people around her. So it seems like
0: she—this is an assertion on my end, mm-hmm. um, so correct me if I'm wrong—it seemed like she very much kind of viewed— the world in like a haves and have-nots kind of way.
1: Yeah, I, I think she she viewed the world in terms of useful to me, not useful to me. Um, I think there are haves she wouldn't have been interested in, and there are have-nots she would have been. Um, I, I think she is Machiavellian. I think she operates uh, and, and surrounds herself with people who who are who can can further her agenda, whether it's you know. Someone who works at Vanity Fair and can give her some, like, v- like validity or credibility based on, you know, that friendship or someone like a philanthropist or someone who she can manipulate in other ways to her financial gain. Um, but I think it all has to do with what's useful to her.
0: It was all for clout, basically.
1: Well, I think she said to the New York Times that she did it for power, right? Not for money. So, yeah, something—I guess clout. She wanted to be taken seriously. That was— a really big thing for her. Do
0: you think that the people around her did take her seriously?
1: No. <laughs> I, I yeah. Yes and no. I think um, took her seriously enough to to give her some time. You know, I I took her seriously enough to give her my time. Um, business people gave her time. Everyone listened to her. There was a chance she could have been what she said she was. A lot of people are like that. You know, she wasn't an anomaly. There, you know, plenty of people come from wealth and want to do projects like. She, she was doing all the things she would have been doing had she been legitimately Anna Delvey, not Anna Sorokin or whatever. Um just so happened that she had falsified bank documents and, and lied about everything. You mentioned her name change, obviously.
0: When did you find out about that and kind of what was your reaction to realizing, like, was that the the final shoe to drop to be like, oh, my God, she's actually a completely different person?
1: Um. I She had told me that she had a hyphenated last name at some point. It was Anna Sorokin Delvey or Delvey Sorokin, and I would seen a passport that had Delvey on it. I don't know how that happened. Um, by the time that came along, that Delvey was just a made-up name, it was more like, of course it was, than, oh, my God, she has been living under an alias. It, was, it had gone, gone too far, I think. I'd say, I'd say getting to the TA's office and realizing that they knew this person I was talking about was really... The, the last straw
0: yeah so then that kind of experience what were were they what was their reaction I guess when you came to them and they were like we already have an investigation like just come join us like
1: um yeah I, well sort of they they were they were like we believe you and we're interested in whatever you can tell us so they were extremely receptive to every every piece and can you imagine? Like my head was reeling. I was. You've. I'm rambling today. You can only imagine. Like I was replaying every scene, every interaction. I was just telling them everything I had. Um, but they were so patient and professional and sensitive and lovely. And it's not. It wasn't like I could walk in there and they're like, well, she did these things, too. It was because it's private. They don't, you know, even when after the grand jury, you don't get to hear other testimony. You don't know if she was found, you know, if they if they chose to indict her or not. Um, so it was a lot of me providing things and not getting a lot of feedback. But at that point, I was just happy to be proactive and to have found a place where what I have is useful because I had been spinning my gears for however many months, feeling like I was moving nowhere. And and I felt I felt so powerless. Um, so I I. Had a really good experience, I'd say, with the DA's office. Even though ultimately the the trial didn't didn't come out in my favor. But
0: um, so then, in terms of like you're saying, like this is very clearly and very val- like validid- validly, I can't think of the word. Yeah, um, very like affected you very deeply. So like, did and before any of this happened, did Anna ever express any concern for like your well being or like kind of? how you were doing as just a genuine friendship? Yeah,
1: superficially. Um, you know, she would ask me now and then, like, oh, like, how's Nick, my boyfriend at the time? And that was a period when, you know, we had broken up. We got back together. We'd broken up. We, like, we were kind of on and off, and we had a tough time there. He's one of my best friends. We're very close. Um, but uh, it wasn't very difficult deep it was enough she she was so good at reading people like whenever I was beginning to have doubts about her you know I guess just her whether or not she was a friend I wanted to have she would always say something to kind of undercut whatever it was I was questioning like whether or not for instance she cared about me or my life she would ask a question at just that time or if I thought she was being too rude to a waiter she would say something self-deprecating and then say something nice to the w- she she was really good at seeing what made people tick
0: do you have any examples maybe not with you but of like when you were with her the very few uh instances where you were with other people yeah that you could see it kind of portray or projected onto those other people
1: Meaning her manipulating yeah. them by, underst- yeah, especially with the personal trainer. Um, because I, th- I think she also was probably smart at who she picked just in terms of them being empathetic. And then I, I think the personal trainer, Casey, is wonderful and like is such a, a patient help, helper. Um, and, and she has such a kind heart that Anna kind of turned to her for life advice and perspective. And it's exactly what Casey would have wanted probably to help with and and have been able to help with but it's hard to know what of that was sincere and what was used to create a false feeling of closeness and I don't know that we can know that I don't know that Anna even knows that you know I think there are elements of truth and and a lot of the relationship she had and, and has with people like there's I think she liked me as a friend you know I think she liked Casey as a trainer but that doesn't mean that she is going to do anything um, to protect you or to care when it really matters
0: um, when you were having these interactions with Anna and sitting down and going to dinner, um, what were the conversations like?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And I and I, I do realize, I think, in, in some of in my book and then in a lot of the media coverage, she comes off as sort of enigmatic and almost cardboard at times, like la- lacking depth. So... I, I think it is a great question, and it's actually something when I was writing the book I had to really sit down and think about because, <laughs> because I had to remind myself, I really liked this person. What was it? What Why? Um, we talked a lot about her life and what she was interested in. I asked a lot of questions like, how are your meetings going? Like, are you feeling good about that? Like, I, <laughs> I guess I did what you would do normally as a friend, and she certainly had strong opinions and, and could tell you, like... Oh, like, I'm thinking of doing this. Or did you see that this is opening here? Or, you know, um, she liked to gossip about the dynamics between the staff at the hotel as well. Like, XYZ is working tonight. Did you hear what he said to blah, blah, blah? Like, she liked micro dramas, I think. um, And a lot of, like, art foundation stuff. She liked to plan to take trips, obviously. Um, You know, also, like, I, I... As I saw her often, but I still was seeing my regular, normal, good, long-life friends, Uh, so we'd sometimes catch up about where I'd been, what I'd been doing. Like, I traveled to visit my sister in Baltimore or went to Amherst to see one of my best friends from college or um, just a lot of small talk, Uh, you know. I cringe every time I see someplace call her my best friend um, because there was never a point in time where I felt that that was true. I liked her. I enjoyed spending time with her. We were close friends. I saw her a lot. But I don't think you make a best friend in two months. I don't think we knew each other very profoundly. Um, you know the trip kind of happened (laughs) I say organically uh, you know to Anna probably it was strategically Uh, it just so happened to to be at a time when I was already traveling for work it fit into my schedule it seemed easy it seemed fun I hadn't traveled with friends but it wasn't because the relationship was getting more serious or because you know this this is like a person I'm going to know for the rest of my life it was just like convenient and fun um so that's the things we talked about. Were pretty, I'd say. I want to say superficial, but also interesting. It wasn't just you know like makeup and boys. This is a conversation. This it was f- more about female friendship, uh, I think, and 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 ambition in New York as two young women who were interested in and in succeeding in our respective careers. Um, albeit, I was anchored by morality, where she was not.
0: Uh, yeah. Just as a follow up, um, you had mentioned much earlier that. The friends that you had mutually um, yeah. in common with her, like, at one point, they kind of cut her off. Yep. Did any of your other friends or did they ever interact with her after that to the point where, like, they kind of might have also gotten to know her a little bit?
1: No. I mean, the the girls I met her through, I, I liked, but I didn't actually ever spend that much time with them. They were, you know, just some people I knew in New York that I had. Ta- you go through phases where you see some people more than others, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, no, I— it's really weird, but during that period of time when Anna and I were close friends, we didn't really do anything together with other people aside from people who worked in the hotel. It was just a very insulated kind of period of time. Like, I'm racking my brain to try and remember. And I've certainly read the things where it's like, she took me shopping and we did, we went to these elite parties. And I'm like, that, like, that really never happened. <laughs> <laughs> um in, no, yeah. In terms of
0: just spending time together one-on-one, was that
1: ever a red flag to you, that it
0: was only ever the two of you together?
1: She isolated herself, and I thought it was because she was young and insensitive. And and I, it's part of—I made a decision to step closer because I I actually felt privileged that she had chosen me as a friend, and I felt capable of being a good friend. I felt like I could be more patient with her than other people were for whatever reason. Um, You know, I— both my parents are clinical psychologists. Maybe I was just trying to be like the like stable. I was so forgiving. It was, like there are some people that aren't worth your time. Like I should have stepped away so much sooner, but I just, yeah, well, live when you learn. <laughs> Would you mind just
0: giving a little bit of detail? You said you're so forgiving, like kind of. Yeah. What? I don't need you to psychoanalyze yourself. No, go but for like, it. Have at like, me. <laughs> me. Yeah. But like, why do you think you might be have been so forgiving in this case like is, is that
1: that's my nature i you know i sure i, I in new york it felt safe i didn't think she was asking anything of me but my time you know i, I enjoyed her company i thought she was there were enough positives that i made a decision to, to to stick it out and try and help her through what seemed like a hard time in her life um at, at points she could she actually did seem fairly depressed you know i'm sure it wasn't an easy secret to be carrying around especially when you're damaging the only positive relationships you have in your life um i don't think she relished in that you know but um i forgot your question no it's
0: okay does your does now does your forgiving nature still apply to this
1: I have to catch myself. I have to monitor myself um, because I I can still feel sorry for her. I think it's really sad to live a life where you can't connect meaningfully with other humans. Like, that's kind of the point of the whole thing, if you ask me. Uh, So I I catch myself. But at the same time, it doesn't... is an excuse her behavior doesn't make it okay um i I will continue being an empathetic trusting person because that's just who i am it doesn't i i I do feel more self-aware and 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 now i can see the instances when i'm doing that if you know i'm in a relationship and i'm constantly making excuses for the other person it's time to take a step back um you know when people show you who they are believe them yeah yeah. Is
0: there as one final thing, just because I'm curious, yeah. what would one piece of advice be for you to give to Anna now in her when she gets out of jail?
1: Oh, I don't have any. Um, I, I actually don't. I don't I don't think she's going to be reformed. I don't think there is. I I think of Anna as a significant part of my past, but I don't have any interest in continu- continued communication or anything. You know, this person has taken way more than enough of my my time and attention and, and energy. Ooh. Yeah. I think that's good.
0: Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Illegal Tender. If you enjoy this show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review there. We will be back with a new season soon. So until then, thank you for listening to Illegal Tender from Yahoo Finance.